Hey everybody, thanks for joining us on Code Chat. I'm Code Foster. Today's topic is inclusive design with our guest, Bryce Johnson. How are you, Bryce? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. Good. Can you tell the audience a bit about what you do here at Microsoft? Yeah, I'm, I'm a designer in Xbox, and I focus on taking the Microsoft inclusive design practice and applying it to gaming. That sounds kind of fascinating, the, the merging of uh, gaming and inclusive design. Can you tell folks what inclusive design even means? Sure. I, I, we, when we think about inclusive design, I'm going to take a step back and sort of say when we need to rethink what disability is. Oh. So um, I think when people traditionally think about disability, they often think about personal health conditions, like someone might have multiple sclerosis or someone might be blind. Um, but we kind of take an approach that... Um, taken from the WHO. So in 2014, the WHO redefined disability. The World Health Organization? Yes, okay. as, a, as not as a personal health condition, but as a mismatch of interactions. Hmm. So what that means is that, um, to give you kind of a concrete example, um, the wheelchair doesn't make the building inaccessible, the stairs do. Okay, So I see that. You know, for us as designers and product makers and you know, uh, that, that type of work, it's important for us to realize that when we don't intentionally include people of all abilities and we don't make those considerations, we are actually creating disability. Hmm. Okay, because we're creating a mismatch. And the mismatch probably usually enters the equation as a part of the design process, right? Abs absolutely. Okay, so what's... Tell me real quick how this applies to gaming. I mean, I, I guess it feels a little bit different from normal apps, productivity apps and, and, and business apps and things like that. How does gaming differ? What's unique about it? Well, I think with gaming, I think when we think about normal sort of traditional accessibility, it's about eliminating barriers and removing as many barriers as possible. But when we think about gaming, it's important for us to remember that barriers are part of the fun. So we're not trying to eliminate barriers. We're just trying to make barriers that um, provide challenge but aren't insurmountable. Okay, okay. So um, the same thing that creates an accessibility issue, the, 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 the barrier that you're calling it, mm -hmm. is something that's kind of um, a positive in the gaming world sometimes. Like the barriers themselves are, are positive. So mm -hmm. when do you want to, how do you, how do you plan that? You know, like the barriers that we have as a natural part of life, because I have a sprained arm or I'm in a wheelchair or yep. whatever, those I don't plan for, but I should be, I'm, I am planning barriers into my games. I'm throwing enemies at you and making you avoid situations and so on. So how do we, how do we plan um, to introduce barriers on one hand and avoid barriers on the other? Well, I think we just need to be cognizant of the spectrum of abilities that people have and sort of just like, I think, you know, to use a development sort of analogy. Um, inclusive design is more like progressive enhancement than it is like graceful degradation. Okay. So we don't design something and then go fix it later. Mm -hmm. We design something from the beginning that is intentionally inclusive of everyone's abilities and we build off of the abilities that people have. Okay. We don't mitigate for the disabilities that people, or the conditions that people have. I see. So how about an example in the gaming world of a situation where I would need to design it, for it to be inclusive? Um, well, I think the one that, that um, I personally like to think about a lot right now is the notion of a quick time event. Okay. Um, and a quick time event is like in a game like Tomb Raider where you have to hit A at a certain point or X oh, yeah. at a certain point. Oh yeah, I've totally point. done that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that can be a barrier for people with limited dexterity. So imagine like if you're playing this game and your A button's on your controller and your X button's on the floor and your Y button's on the ceiling you might be able to get past that level, but 
the barriers that are, have been put in front of you are beyond your abilities. And mm. so, you know, it, that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> That's so helpful to think about it that way. You know, I mean, when, when you say that, you know, the buttons are this far apart, I instantly go, well, that's not very fair. You know, right. like, that's not set up for me to have fun. So when we think about people with limited mobility, um, we need to take those things into consideration and provide them sort of alternatives. And, and maybe these uh, conventions can be made smarter mm -hmm. um, so that if you fail a couple times, maybe it gets easier, that you get more time. Uh, maybe the button sequences become simpler. You just have to hit the same button. And maybe eventually, if you fail enough times, the game just lets you pass. Yeah. It gives you just an option to skip it. Because right. you're obviously not having fun if you've been stuck on this thing. For yeah, like right. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you, you kind of do have to throw out this notion of it being a fair set of rules. Because the, the entirety of a game is contrived to be... Barriers, yes, but surmountable still. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I still need to be able to have progress to feel like... Right. Well, like I'm having fun. Yeah. So can you tell us some other scenarios? Like you mentioned the quick time, but what are some other scenarios in gaming where inclusivity is uh, involved? Can you hear me? Yeah. One more time. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> okay, so that's a good example, the quick time scenario. What are some other scenarios in gaming where inclusivity really plays a role, where it's important for the, design, for the developers to design this into the game to include everybody? Well, I think a really basic example, and in some ways kind of the canonical example, is, is the idea of you shouldn't differentiate elements by only using color. So okay. you can imagine a game that had like red side and green side. Okay. To someone who's red-green colorblind, that's going to look, that's going to be impossible for them to differentiate. Uh. And, and I mean, that affects like one in every ten men, so that's, that's a lot of people that you're, I, you're excluding. I think that it's, it's notable that whenever there's a problem like that, you've created something that's red and green, and, and now a certain percentage of the population is, they, they can't go through that scenario. Mm -hmm. That's a disadvantage to the people that want to play that game and can't, but it's also a disadvantage to the game developer because you've put this thing out there in the world and you want as many people to use that as possible. So it's a lose-lose situation yeah, if you absolutely. don't overcome that with design. And I mean, so with Candy Crush King, when they first brought it out, they had colorblind issues, but they fixed mm. it. And now, you know, the game is used um, by much more people. So they've, they've, they've eliminated that barrier in their game. Okay. Can you give us a little bit, right here behind us, we're on the Microsoft slash design website. Can mm -hmm. you tell us what Microsoft has for resources in this area? Well, so this is the Inclusive Design Toolkit. This is okay. done by Microsoft Design. It's a collection of methods to help you think about how to design your products in a more inclusive mindset. And this isn't just talking about games, right? This nope, is this more is general. this is for everyone. This is okay. general. Okay. Um, this is a really great resource that we've kind of put out there, and there's a, it's um, kind of always growing. There's the manual, which basically explains um, the process, and then there's the actual activities, which help you basically reframe and rethink um, your, your design problems. Okay. Okay, so then this lands, th these concepts land in all of the first-party title games, or do we find a way to, um, to push this kind of advice out to the other game studios that are creating content for the Xbox? Well, I think, I think like for us, we want to we push this content out to everyone. It's, it's, it is really fairly new to game developers, yeah. and it's going to take us some time to kind, of, to kind of get out there. But we are definitely working with some of our own sort of first-party studios. Um, but, you know, we also need to make sure that we have advice in place for our third-party partners. They're incredibly important to our ecosystem. Yeah. Are you a gamer yourself? Oh, yeah. 
And what are your favorite titles? Um, well, it depends on the time of day. I mean, you know, it depends on like what's kind of playing. I mean, I just finished Quantum Break, and I I actually finished the whole game in one sitting. Oh my goodness! Beginning to end. <laughs> How long did that take? Uh, it's it's not. It wasn't too bad. It took me about fourteen hours. Oh, <laughs> I've got far more than that. And I I usually lag behind quite a bit, and and get the games when they're on sale or when they're yep. available for free on Xbox Gold. And so I'm still actually playing Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Oh, yeah. It's an awesome game. Yeah. It's one of those ones that I, can, I have so many hours in it because mm -hmm. you just wander, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, if, is there anything else that you want to tell developers that are maybe working in this space, making games today, what, what they could do? Obviously, they can go to Microsoft.com slash design. Um, but what else can they do to be inclusive? Well, I think maybe not just game developers, but kind of all up developers in general. Mm -hmm. I think as we start developing our systems and our software and our experiences, we need to start thinking about um, multiple modalities. So it's not just about what's on a screen on my PC or what's on a screen on my phone or what's on a screen on my TV with my Xbox. Mm -hmm. You know, we have HoloLens coming, which is like a whole new kind of input-output modality. Yeah. We have experiences like what Amazon has done with Amazon Echo, which is a purely sort of auditory and sonic experience. So when I think about, when I think about what responsive design means w with these new modalities beyond kind of screen, it becomes really very exciting. And, um, and this all kind of ties back to the inclusive practice, in a sense, where you know, in the old days when we designed, we made something degrade gracefully for like the phone. And we've learned since then that, you know, we don't want to do that. We want to make things progressively enhanced. We want to design this sort of minimal viable sort of experience and we want it to like, we want things to light up on different modalities as they kind of appear. Does that just mean that you're intentional about being on a phone before the thing goes out the door? Like you, you plan for the scenario that this is going to be not only acceptable but useful and fun yeah. on a phone as well as it is on the computer even if it's different? Absolutely and I think I think like intentional is the best word because when we I think when a lot of developers are in this um, out there developing their responsive designs they're thinking about how it works on a device mm -hmm. but the fact is is it's not really about the device it's about the person who's using that who happens to be using that device it's about their experience. I see. So. Um, just like when you're talking about making your content work on various devices, we need to actually start being more responsive and, and up to uh, people's abilities. Okay. I, I, you know, one of the things that I just that happened recently, uh, Aaron Gustafsson, yeah, who's, okay. uh, who works here at Microsoft at the at the Edge Web Summit, hmm. said, um, and in one of his talks, he had this great quote, which basically sums this all up. It's that, what is responsive design if it's not about accessibility? Oh yeah, really? Yeah, I guess there's really, I'm, I'm just in thinking about it, and after what you've said, there's not a lot of difference between designing for different modes and designing for different capabilities, right? You're really mm -hmm. just enabling the spectrum of your audience. That This guy has a phone, this guy has a, a larger screen, this guy has two arms, and this guy's lost an arm. Yep. So that's it's really the same thing. And the, the methods in the toolkit and the activities that you can go through in the toolkit will help you frame those things properly when you're designing your... It's really one of those topics where you've got to think outside the box because a lot of the things that you say, I realize as an application and website designer, I've never thought about that before. You know, mm -hmm. I live in my own world. I don't have experience 
with uh, having just one arm until all of a sudden I have a baby and you know and right. now I'm trying to do this and boy I never thought about that I never empathized with a, a person with one arm before yeah and, and so we call that actually um, we call that a situational impairment so mm -hmm. when we think about in the practice we have this concept called the persona spectrum mm -hmm. so a per which is the ideas that we design for a permanent condition like say someone is an amputee and then people who have a temporary condition, like they're in a cast or a sling, or someone holding a baby, which is mm -hmm. a situational impairment, they benefit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one design and you, yep. you get all three of those audiences. Well, that's really cool. I think that's fun for developers to consider. I think we should all be thinking more toward this. I know every time my, uh, my IDE prompts me to enter that alt tag in my images, yep. I, I try to do the right thing and enter the alt tags. And, and, I, and I actually, I wanted, there's one more thing I want to mm -hmm. talk about, and that is, um, the inclusion of other spoken languages oh, right. as a re really related topic, right? I mean, I, I can't just design this thing for people that speak my language. Mm -hmm. I need to be including other languages and, and broadening the audience and enabling others. Yeah, and, and I think I've always found that there's actually a lot of overlap between designing for accessibility and designing for like internationalization. Mm -hmm. The kind of general guideline that we have in the in the studios is basically, well, make sure that text size can be increased by like. 50% more copy mm -hmm. because of languages like German or Russian mm -hmm. um, to when that translation happens. That's sort of our basic rule. Yeah. But leaving that space also allows us to think like, well, if someone who um, who happens to have a vision impairment, they need their fonts bigger. That's fifty percent oh, more room, it works, right? Yeah. And so those things, there's a lot of corollaries that way. Yeah. And I think like, you know, while this could be like a, an entire topic on its own. Thinking about bi-directional languages, um, like Arabic, mm -hmm. um, when you know our UIs have to respond to devices, but then imagine like how all of a sudden that our designs actually have to respond to things like being bi-directional and reading from right to left. And things wow, like that. so many things to consider. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, enlightening us today, Bryce. This has been fun. It's fun to uh, think about all of these different things. And uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. So Great. thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Code Chat. Thank you.